0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Brew Theology podcast. This is Ryan Miller, and today's episode is brought to you yet again by Homebrew Christianities Theology Beer Camp in Redondo Beach, California, where about eighty of us from around the nation gathered together to nerd out with our geek out with uh, the host Trip Fuller, who brought a slew of theologians and an unlimited supply of beer. Including a lot of IPAs, thank you very much. Story of God, uh, they're the ones that supplied all the beer. So, uh, yeah, today's episode, we're going to have Dr. John Cobb Jr. on the episode. This, uh, This is quite the honor. This is one of these opportunities that doesn't come around very often. And dr Cobb is ninety two years old, and so we uh we feel very privileged. Dan and Janelle and I got to chat with him. We also got to have some uh have some time with him before he spoke on the day of uh, a theology beer camp. This guy is a tremendous asset to the academic world but but not just the academic world. I feel like John, after meeting him, has a pastoral heart, and you 'll hear some of this just in uh in the dialogue that we had with him. His latest book is called jesus 's Abba, which means father in Aramaic and so a very accessible book if uh, John Cobb's got some heady stuff I mean here's a guy who's like the the preeminent uh, process theologian in you know in this era so if you think about process theology as heady as that can be John Cobb's work kind of helped pave the way for that uh, in the within uh, the 20th century into the 21st century. And so the book Jesus is Abba does have elements of process in it, but it's a very accessible book. Also, I would recommend uh, the uh, Process Perspective. He has two volumes, volume one and two, of uh, kind of introductory work on process theology if you are interested in that. In this episode, now, we talk uh, more about um, one, his upbringing and a little bit of like a pluralistic attitude of him being raised in a Buddhist environment and what that looks like um, even even today in the Christian world, in the in this pluralistic world that we live in. And so uh, he also talks uh, quite a bit about uh, Wesleyan theology as well. And then we're going to talk about five roadblocks that he presents in history that have been valued over the teachings of Jesus. And if you've never heard of John Cobb before, I guarantee you that you're going to want to read and hear more from him after this brutastic episode. John likes us so much. Yeah, I say he likes us so much. He, he gave us an endorsement. This is pretty cool. And this is what he said about Brew Theology. He said, We theologians of an earlier generation know that our style of thinking and communicating no longer works well, if it ever did. I fear that we are unlikely to learn how to share the wisdom that we have received And still think helpful for others with new generations. Brew Theology is a promising answer. The old methods consisted largely of monologues. What is needed today, and perhaps what has always been needed, is sharing of thinking and feeling and mutual stimulus to grow. So thank you, John Cobb, for that endorsement. If you would like a JC Is My Homeboy exclusive t-shirt from Brew Theology, head over to Teespring. T E E spring.com slash JC is my homeboy. And you can pick up a t-shirt one of a kind from brew theology. If you like what we're doing, make sure you go over to iTunes and rate us. Give us a five star rating and nice little review. You can always check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Theology along with Twitter Brew underscore Theology Head over to our website at brewtheology.org and think about what it may look like for you in your community in which you live to become a local partner of this Brew Theology Alliance that we're trying to get going across the nation. We would also love your support and your help so if you like our work and you want to support us you can go to the Brew Theology uh, website and there's a donate page and a link for a one-time gift or uh, if you want to be a monthly contributor to the podcast and the community and the work in which we're doing, not only in Denver, but across this nation. uh, We would be incredibly grateful for that. So thank you again for your time and have fun with some JC. Peace. Hi, right, so welcome, friends, to the Brew Theology Podcast. I'm Ryan Miller. I'm here with Janelle and Dan, interviewing Dr. John Cobb. John, how do you feel about Tripp speaking for you?
1: <laughs> well, it's an improvement. <laughs>
0: <laughs> has, he got, has he gotten better over the years? Uh... And
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's getting better and better. Has well, a long way to go. <laughs>
0: Yes, he does. But we're not, we're not here to talk about trip right now. So well, I do want to ask some questions about your latest book, Jesus is Abba, yes, and yes. Do, um, talk about some of the developments in church history that have hindered that process of people appreciating Jesus and getting close to Abba Father. But before we do that, uh, just for our listeners who are out there, they are interfaith. We are interreligious. Uh, brew theology exists to brew theology across the religious and non-religious spectrum. So some of our listeners and people in our Denver community uh, are christian catholic and protestant some are progressive and some don't know what they believe and so we have quite a mix and your parents from what i understand you were raised as a missionary kid in japan yeah so i'm just going to go straight to you uh, can christians and buddhist is can you be a christian and buddhist at the same time yes yes can you clarify explain uh... <laughs>
1: yes uh... I said something a few minutes ago in another context about the way in which in human history, in the middle of the first millennium before Jesus, developments took place independently in different parts of the world, all of which continue to be important today I guess Zoroastrianism would be the least uh, important today, but it has potential. Uh, and they are different answers, but I don't think being different means that they contradict each other. Now, you can draw from them ideas that contradict each other, and I'm we're now speaking about Buddhism and Christianity, and Buddhism in its... Uh, Original form is non theistic, and it is emphatically non theistic. It's not just that it didn't get around to talking about God, but uh, of course it rejected every idea of God that was available to it at the time. Okay. Nevertheless, I think almost everyone who studies the Buddhist sutras sees there is profound wisdom and spiritual depth. And at the present time, there are many, many monasteries, Catholic monasteries in which Zen or other forms of Buddhist meditation are adopted. I have heard that in Japan, there are as many Christians practicing Zen as there are Buddhists practicing Zen. Yeah. okay Now, if Buddhism is understood as a primarily as a form of meditation, then This is not talking about some hypothetical matter in the future, it's talking about the present situation in which many, many, many Christians are engaged in practice, the practice of Buddhism. And Buddhism is primarily a practice. And I I think there are always some dangers, that is, one could be led through the practice of Buddhism to belittle certain aspects of Christianity that I think are very important. And I think I know some people where I think that danger has occurred, but I know lots of other people for whom I think this has been a wonderfully enriching experience. So I it's not that difficult for a Buddhist to be a Christian. It's a little harder I mean, excuse me, for a Christian to be a Buddhist. It may be a little harder for a Buddhist to become a Christian, to be a Christian at the same time.
0: Okay. Now, these are your Mm -hmm. words here. So, uh, you say that the question for Christians is whether faith really involves attachment and clinging.
1: Yes.
2: It
0: is certainly often described in these terms, but we may be able to learn something from Buddhists here. Yes. Perhaps really to trust God is not to cling to him, but to be free, to let go. Perhaps clinging is an expression of limited faith. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's
1: a lesson I learned in my interactions with the Buddhists. I, I've spent hundreds of hours in discussion with Buddhists, so it's, it's been an important part of my own theological development. Since we're talking about Buddhism, uh, a personal question: Do you ever meditate? I am not a Buddhist medit. I won't say I never meditate, but I have never practiced meditation in a disciplined fashion. I consider that we Christians have a wonderful freedom. We are free to make enormous use of the wisdom of the, the practical developments of Buddhism. We are free not to do so. I don't think we are required to do so.
3: Well, going a little different direction and maybe talking about um... Attachment to our ideas and the way that we understood faith. Uh, strangely, our brew theology group in Denver has several people that come out of the Nazarene tradition, mm-hmm. and I've talked to several people here that also have been mm-hmm. there. I'd really love it if you'd say more about Wesley's mistake.
1: Oh, about Wesley's mistake. Uh-huh. Yeah,
3: just because I'm. All right. uh, I think that it's something that inside our tradition we don't talk about. We talk about yeah. like some of the dangers of the way entire sanctification is taught in American holiness, okay. but then the conversation kind of ends there, and I'd uh-huh. really love to hear more about okay. your study of that.
1: Well, well, let me say that I expect people in the Nazarene Church have thought about that issue much more than I have. Okay. So, I simply have um, a great anxiety that we think might think better of ourselves than is Warranted, and uh, my inclination is to think that if someone really did attain perfection in love, and of course it is important that we understand perfection never meant never to make a mistake, to be infallible or anything, right. <laughs> anything like that. It's a matter, it's a matter that your motivation be, is pure. You, you only it, there's nothing within you any longer that is resisting the perfect love of, of others. It's a wonderful idea. But uh, my, and I am skeptical, there may be moments in a person's life in which that takes place, that's real. But the idea that what is true in a few moments here and there persists through when you're drowsy in the evening, and when you, you know, just... <laughs> as a continuous matter, um, I I, I think that's so extremely improbable that if if anyone thinks because they had a particular experience that therefore from now on there will never be anything in their lives except perfect love, I'm afraid they will be less honest about what's going on in them. And frankly, I think if someone were perfect in love, they would never bother to tell us.
3: Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. That's true. How would you, do you have any recommendations for how to help people heal from that idea? Uh Because sometimes when we have been kind of birthed and raised with that concept as an expectation of where our faith should Uh go, when that starts to fall apart, it gets very difficult to rebuild faith that says it's okay for you to be human and authentic, but you're still moving towards God?
1: Um, how, how do... you see, I, Again, I think you could answer the question better than I can, and that's why I'm a little uh, uncomfortable in, in trying to do that. My problem with uh, most of us Wesleyans is we don't work nearly hard enough to grow in love. And it, it seems to me if you shift from the notion of the achievement to the emphasis, now I'll use
0: process. You can say it. It's okay. I can say it out You can loud. spell it. <laughs> Good job. You've made him afraid to use the word process now. <laughs>
1: the, the great majority of Wesley's thought talk is about the process. Right. Yeah. And if you can shift to that and say, The ideal of being perfect in love is a wonderful ideal. It is the goal. It's something that in some moments of your life you may actually accomplish, it may actually happen. But when the fact that something happens once doesn't mean that it determines from thence on. Every moment is a new moment in every moment you're making a decision, to uh, to expect that one experience in the past would control every decision you ever make after that is just...
3: Kind of crazy.
1: It is. I mean, it's unrealistic. Yeah. And to hold that up and make people feel sort of bad because they're not there is, I think, uh, deeply damaging. So, yes, it is. So, so I... Uh, I, I, you know I had to say that I am going I expect to be made perfect in this life we Methodist preachers right. none of us believe it and the bishop explains to us in one way or another that you don't have to mean it <laughs> but I think that having to go through all that stuff indicates Wesley made a mistake That sermon should have been worded a little differently. I'll I'll help him edit
0: it next time.
3: (laughs) Thank
0: you so much. So we're we're going to work backward just a bit as we're trying to aim right toward perfection and love. And and you talk about these um, roadblocks, these obstacles, hurdles for people. And we have people who are, like I said, religious and non-religious. So you have people within the church who have issues with the church. Imagine that. Oh, some who talk imagine. about it and some who don't. So here, we're okay to talk about it here. Yes. And in your book, you outline this in Jesus' Abba, that there are five historical developments. So can you outline these that that hinder us from appreciating the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus' uh, embodiment of love incarnate on earth, the Father's love.
1: Well, I'll, I'll jump to the one where so we've talked a lot about the omnipotence issue, and to me that's well, very let's important. Let's talk about that
0: just a little bit more for our listeners, because for some oh. people, they, okay. they love the word omnipotence. Yes. And for some, they, they run away from it.
1: Yes. Now, for some, the word omnipotence just means God could do all kinds of things. The, the problem with the word is it means something much stronger. It means that everything that happens is exactly what God wants to happen. And that's the part that I'm particularly troubled about. But I think even the idea that God could do anything is already dangerous. Once God has created beings, if the beings God creates have any reality at all, they have some power. And if they're totally controlled by God, they don't really exist. To be is to have an effect, to to make a difference, to be able to do something. So uh, I, I think there are lots of problems with omnipotence language. And if what one means is God is very powerful, let's say God is very powerful. Yeah. But then what is the nature? I think even more important, what is the nature of God's power? And it's, not, it's not, the, not control. I mean, if, if we think about the, the power that parents have, they can force a child to do something. You can make the child swallow something. I mean, and sometimes parents have to do that. But as a parent who has occasionally had to do that, that is what makes me feel weak. I don't feel powerful when I do that. I feel like a failure. I think we also have enormous power in shaping the values that the child has and many other ways. But to to think of divine power primarily in terms of the kind of power that parents exercise only when they're desperate doesn't, it's not, it's not according to the scriptures.
0: Hashtag dad of the year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to get rid of omnipotence. And if you have any issues with that, if you're listening, you can always email us and then we'll hopefully get you in touch with a book that John's written and you can read the full thing and then critique Uh them. But the second thing that you, you've talked about this before uh, today, but not for our listeners is this emphasis on the creeds. Yes. Okay.
1: Okay, now, now creeds are a natural development in any institution. You won't always call them creeds, but when there are disagreements, that it's often necessary to get enough agreement to go on and act together. Otherwise, you do like we Protestants do, and we split, and then the split-off group splits, and then, then you know, I don't have to explain it. And I think we marvel that the Roman Catholic Church has maintained... A continuous unity through all this time while we split, split, split. So, so I admire that. I'm not, I, I'm probably on the splitting side myself, but I nevertheless am not against creeds if that's what it takes to hold, yeah. hold it together. But what you usually do when you, when you have a difference of opinion is to try to find a formulation that both sides can agree to. So what comes out is um, rarely very understandable. And the understanding, anybody who claims fully to understand the creeds in a coherent way, well, that's sort of like claiming constant perfection. It's, uh, I, since no, no two people ever seem to understand them in exactly the same way one I'm I'm not sure, but the purpose of the creed is not to formulate an intelligible position, it is to formulate one that both people can read in a way that makes sense to them, okay? That's good, I admire them for doing it. But now the next step, they felt they had to get everybody to say, okay, we agree, so we get on with other business. Yeah. Okay, that's all right too, but then they call that faith. And faith, which originally meant, well, it had many meanings, but I think the deepest meaning was faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Now it becomes believing something because the church tells me to believe it. Now those are two entirely different things. And many people really don't know any longer what is meant by faith when Paul talks about faith or when Jesus talks about faith. They think that faith is... Believing a lot of strange ideas that nobody can explain because the church tells them to. That I regard as terrible disaster. But lots of people today think that's what Christianity is. It's it's believing stuff
0: you don't really understand and have no evidence for. Yeah, it keeps the tribe in check as well. Yeah. So then the third thing you talk about is this prioritization that we've had with this 11th century saint. Yeah. With yeah. A certain theory <laughs> of atonement. Yes. And that's also hindered us from, again, the teachings of Jesus and his love. It, it, he is it a Bible. has,
1: okay, we're talking yep. about Saint Anselm who said that the reason Jesus, the, a heavenly being, the Son of God, who is co-equal with God, and yet not exactly co-equal with God. God is more equal than the Son. I think the Father is more equal than the Son. But In any case, God sends Jesus into the world to suffer and die. That's the only reason Jesus came. And that suffering and death is so that the Father can forgive human beings. Okay. The God Now, this makes God more interested in God's honor than in the well-being of the creation. That is not the teaching of the New Testament. And it means that since the only thing that Jesus did that made any difference was to die, there's no reason to pay any attention to what he said or to his personal character, or anything else about him. So I think it it has shaped both Roman Catholic theology and Protestant theology, and it is a major obstacle to getting attention to the possibility of being faithful to Jesus.
0: Yeah. And then... Two more obstacles as well. In this fourth one here, you speak about this adoption of natural law. Uh, so this cr- Christian ethics is certain morality, uh, versus, so, uh, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is what love looks like in this context. So yeah. we've adopted these, this way of doing life, uh, according to a Christian concept, but yet Jesus is always flipping that on its, on its head. Yes? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, well, uh, uh, you think about all the reasons people give up on Christianity, reject it, and outgrow it, and so forth. And one of them is certainly that they identify being a Christian with do's and don'ts. And unfortunately, in modern times, these have been focused on sex. There's no basis for that focus in the Bible. I don't mean the Bible is
0: indifferent to sex. We, but we have an ex-Nazarene, ex-Southern Baptist, and ex-Pentecostal. We have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but even if it were not for that extra uh, twist, uh, the idea that Christianity is a matter of doing what the law says one must do, what the rules are, it's just exactly the opposite of what Paul taught. I think it's the opposite of what Jesus taught, but Paul spent page after page explaining that the law is does not save us. So that the close identification with salvation with obedience to the law is an explicit, direct rejection of the New Testament.
0: Lastly, and hopefully... Uh... We have about maybe a minute or two left here. So <laughs> uh-huh. the attempt in this need to identify some source for religious certainty. And this is the uh-huh. drug of choice.
1: <laughs> yeah. We, uh, the desire to find objective certainty is, seems to be deeply rooted. But it's probably when people grow up in traditional communities, they don't have to worry about it. Everybody has enough agreement that you're not put in the, in the situation of needing to decide which authority. They all point in the same direction and you'll adopt it. But our history has led us into a time when we all encounter a great diversity of opinions. Now, if we are sufficiently mature, we are able to navigate those waters and find which of these ideas makes sense to us, and so forth and so on. But uh, we don't, to be certain, is already uh, a bad thing rather than a good thing. (laughs) To have certitude, I think, is a good thing. But that's not certain. So it's only in rather recent times, in the last few hundred years, that people have been worried about, inerrancy, infallibility. In the Middle Ages, the scriptures, you know, when you, you, the theological work in the Middle Ages centered around the book of sentences. And what you did when you took a topic was to list all the people who had given one answer to it and all those who had given another answer and your lists would be composed of people, both, both biblical writers and also classical writers and recent theologians, all kinds of people could be could appear there. And you ended up making your own judgment about how to understand it in light of what all these people have said. But you can see that's not, you're not looking for certainty. You don't have an absolute authority. The Bible is not an absolute authority. Classics are not. Previous theologians are not. But they're all taken seriously. Okay. But in the modern world, people have felt the need to have somebody tell them for sure what are the right answers. Mm -hmm. And so the two main choices in Christianity have been the Bible on the one side and the church on the other side. And the whole notion of papal infallibility has come up. I think that it's much I'm, very it's very tightly controlled there're not not many utterances of popes that have been declared infallible so the catholics don't have as much of a problem as protestants who have said the whole bible is infallible and especially all the people who disagree with each other and contradict each other they're all infallible it's a it's a a very very odd matter. i can understand saying the quran is infallible because it all pretty much speaks in one voice but the bible can't be infallible that just and you end up with so many contradictions in any case it, in fact, the, the need for infallibility is understandable but to respond to it by identifying something infallible is a very serious mistake. It's not biblical.
0: Well, thank you for joining us, yeah. John. I know uh, our time is up, so if you want to check out John's book, do so online, Amazon. And if you want to know more about John, I always go to Homebrew Christianity with Mr. Trip Fuller here, who is the voice of John from no, the 21st no, century. No, er, first, I want, uh, not just the podcast, I want, if
2: anyone that's listening and or here is interested in uh, starting a brew theology group yes. in their area, it's because... I don't know when was it a couple of years ago. You were like, "Oh, That's this fine. is this is actually working." Like you won't even believe what's going on in our in our area. And on top of it, different breweries let me bring a bunch of my friends in. Then they're like, "How did this group get that diverse?" I'll let you have free beer, Ryan. And um, and and then you've started creating resources and a network So say something about it because I regularly have people ask me to do what then I was trying to encourage you to do so that I didn't feel obligated to do it. Right, right. And then you started bringing all these people together. So. Uh, maybe okay. you just say something uh, so people know, like, you've yeah, seen so, their resources. If I could get free beer by bringing people together. Like, even so, this week was like you had a Wicked come. So, I mean, like, right. you talk about it. You'll
0: talk about all sorts of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, when we say interfaith, interreligious, we mean that. This is some people will ask, "Well, Ryan, is this a, is this a church and a pub?" I, well, no, it's not. For some, they can say that, they can use the word, but really, it's a it's a community of people getting together on a weekly basis, and we're saying, "Okay, this is actually working." Imagine that when you have people who totally disagree, but yet you can find a common ground of justice and shalom and love, and we don't even use we don't use those words. Really, sometimes they come up, and they so it's very pluralistic. Uh, it's, it's funny we we joke about this a lot, saying. There are Christians here, so be very particular to your Christianity, whatever that is, but don't worry about uh, offending somebody else. Some people say, can I come in? Am I going to be a heretic? Well, yeah, because everybody's a heretic. So, it, 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 and it, yeah, it's working. I don't know. it's I think it's working because we actually care for each other. We look, we look across the table and we can see somebody that I would say is made in the image of God, but somebody would say is made in the image of consciousness. So, yeah. Yeah. So if you want to start this in your city or your town, Janelle and I, and uh, Dan here is our, our podcast editor as well, so that's the microcosm. The podcast is really just saying, you can do this in your own community. So we want to spread this beyond Denver. Uh, as, a, as a local autonomous Baptist guy back in the day, I do believe in the priesthood of all believers, and so there is no creed or control or authority, papal authority that we will have over you. It's just, here's some outline stuff that we can help you get this going.
3: So you can visit us at brewtheology.org. Everything's up. You can fill out a contact form. And we have curriculum there for purchase, or you can also partner with us. And if you have any questions or want to negotiate, just give us a call or an email. I think of or, it as a
0: sliding scale. Yeah. 50 cents to $5,000. We'll figure
3: it out. No problem. Or free we just, beer. We want you to do this in your communities because it's great.
0: No, excellent. It sounds so, like a coin
1: near to me. Well, that's oh, like
2: that. <laughs> you should put that on your website. John <laughs> Cobb says, it looks like koinonia to me, and I don't drink beer.
3: I'll edit it when I get back to the hotel.
2: So give our, give our Colorado brew theology uh, participants a hand.